My name is Jonathan Blackwood. Welcome to My Tech Decisions Podcast. Today's guest is Tunde Odelier, Director of Security Services for PCM. Tunde and I discuss malware, ransomware, threat actors, and their methods. We also talk about the kind of technology that can be put in place to detect and prevent a number of cybersecurity attacks. In addition, we talk about the strategy that needs to be put in place to prevent and react to such attacks. Anyone looking to learn more about cybersecurity and how to bolster their cybersecurity portfolio should give this interview a listen. Enjoy. Before we get to the interview, a quick reminder that My Tech Decisions podcast is now available on iTunes and the Google Play Store. Make sure to subscribe in order to instantly download the latest interviews with expert AV integrators, IT providers, security installers, technology manufacturers, and commercial technology decision makers like yourself. If you like what you hear, you can leave a comment and rate the podcast as well. Search for My Tech Decisions Podcast on iTunes and the Google Play Store. Download and subscribe. Now let's get to the interview. Welcome to My Tech Decisions Podcast. Today's guest is Tunde Odelier, Director of Security Services for PCM. Tunde, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, John. Happy to uh, it's great to have you here. Uh, uh, Tunde knows a ton about cybersecurity, and as that is a track that we're focusing on in 2019 for obvious reasons, uh, we wanted to have him on to just talk about some general uh, some general thoughts and considerations around particularly malware and ransomware, which are related. And I'll let Tunde explain. Uh, Tunde, what is malware? What is ransomware? How are they related? Sure. And uh, thanks again, John, for having me here. Definitely a pleasure. So malware and ransomware are pretty much one and the same. The only reason why we use the phrase ransomware is because of the way a specific type of malware exhibits its behavior, which is really to hold you ransom. Uh, But for the most part, under the hood, they're really one and the same. It's uh, any kind of malicious software. Uh, In the security world, we use the term payload. Usually any kind of malicious software that is designed to act in a way that uh, is counterproductive to your business needs is really what we would term as malicious software, which is what malware is. Okay, and then once they've installed that malware, once you've been compromised by that malware, that's when they turn it into ransomware by essentially uh, demanding a ransom? Yeah, so in this day and age, really, um, I mean, like, like the banks, right? Why do robbers rob the bank? Because that's where the money is. Hmm. So you've got all sorts of malware riders out there. In this day and age, actually, you actually have ransomware. We have what we call ransomware as a service, malware as a service. I mean, there's there's tons of them out there. So um, the ability for the bad guys to really uh, develop any kind of malicious uh, payload in this day and age, is, it can be done with relative ease. Um, and apart from just plain old malicious bad guys, you have folks who pretty much know nothing about security as well who are trying to jump into, I mean, jump in the, on the money train 
going on going into the deep web and and purchasing uh these automated toolkits that allow pretty much anybody to write any kind of malicious payload and automate the collection of of of, uh, of their ransom and all whatnot. Uh, so, but for the most part, malicious payload, um, you can get it either way. I mean, but for the most part, most people will get it either through some sort of a an email from me, for example. Email is the most common form. Uh, sometimes you might come across a, an infected website, and this is this is what we term uh, drive-by downloads, for example. Uh, there are other avenues as well. You might download a compromised uh, app, for example, or a malicious freeware. So there are all sorts of avenues by which this quote-unquote malicious software can get on your systems. Now, depending on what that piece of software is designed to do, that's what determines whether uh, it acts as a ransomware or it has other nefarious activities. But for the most part, um, it's a malicious payload gets into your systems, Typically, we'll look for some sort of vulnerabilities, depending on, again, how it's designed. It will proliferate the environment. And then once it's gained a foothold, depending on the uh, coding, then it goes it goes rogue and obviously takes on its ransomware form. And obviously, you get the, you get the ransomware notification at that point. Or, as like I said, again, it could, be, it could be there for other nefarious activities, things around starting to exfiltrate data, or trying to steal data. So there's really all sorts of applications when we start getting into the world of uh, uh, malicious payloads. Well, it, it makes sense that with ransomware, obviously the end game is to hold the ransom and, and get cash or, or some other asset uh, from the organization that you've infiltrated. With malware, uh, you mentioned that there are some other nefarious reasons. What are some of those reasons? At, at first glance, it seems like uh, there's not much to gain by a random threat actor uh, installing malware into an organization's um, uh, network. So what are they looking to do, the ones that don't turn it into a ransom? So um, a classic example that most security folks are worried about right now is really in the area of IoT. I mean, everyone's got all sorts of smart devices with smart phones, obviously smart phones, smart cleaners, smart washers, smart fridges, I mean, smart cities, for that matter, are coming down the road. The problem is, with these technologies, uh, in the IoT world, uh, the IoT world is notorious for using um, insecure firmware, insecure uh, uh, software under the hood, pretty much. Well, the big problem, one of the, one of the more nefarious use cases of malware, you can look at the scenario where you've got multiple IoT devices that were compromised, not necessarily to steal data, but to harvest them into a larger, maybe a botnet, for example. Well, usually those things will just sit there waiting for a command. Well, lo and behold, if you, if you look up a couple of years ago, there was a huge internet attack against a company called uh, uh, DYN, their DYN DNS. They're, they're probably one of the larger uh, DNS providers on the web. Uh, long story short, the attack on that network essentially ended up taking down multiple organizations. And these attacks were actually, by just harnessing multiple compromised uh, bots that were out there pretty much, and then you now have a distributed denial of service attack that is concentrated against one entity. So that is one example. That is one of the more notorious examples of uh, malicious, uh, malicious payload being leveraged for other things besides just uh, ransomware. 
Uh, the other typical area we would see malicious payload activity is in the area of identity theft. That is also very common. So like I said, there's all sorts of applications for malicious payload, but typically you'll find it in, the, in this day and age, whether it be the area of ransomware attacks or identity theft, because the attackers are, are usually looking to monetize that attack very quickly, and some attacks will take longer than others. So that, that's why you kind of see them more prevalent in those two areas that I mentioned. Okay. Uh, it makes sense. It seems to the layman that because these uh, cyber attacks happen so often and they're in the news so often, that there's no type of technology that can just be put into place to prevent that. Is, is, is that the case? Is there technology? Like, take, take out the human factor, but is there technology that can help prevent or mitigate these attacks? So I'm glad you used the word mitigate uh, because there's a yes and no answer to that. The, the yes answer is yes, there are ways to mitigate these attacks. Um, but as far as absolute security, in the security world, there is no such thing as absolute security. So on, on one hand, I agree with the comment that, okay, despite all your best efforts, there is no way that you can absolutely guarantee that a malicious payload will not find its way into your environment. I don't care how big you are or how sophisticated you are. You can look at most of the larger organizations that have had massive data breaches. These were companies that have been shown to have spent millions on their security infrastructure, yet they still got compromised. And most of those compromises were traced to a malware of some sort. Um, but on the other hand, there are ways to mitigate it. In security, we look for what we call reasonable security, not necessarily absolute security. Reasonable security really means the concept of reducing your exposure to a point where it is much, it is much harder for you to be exploited. And the attackers are always looking for the lowest hanging fruit. So rather than they spending, okay, their entire time trying to, and most of the attacks are usually going to be automated, looking for low hanging fruits. Once you've protected yourself from the more obvious issues, the attackers are usually going to be off looking for a different target. Where most companies really fail is they fail in the foundational aspects of security. Um, most companies invest in new bells and whistles, the latest bells and whistles that are out there. But if you really look at it, when it comes to security, and there's several security controls that talk about this, there are some foundational things that if you are not doing from a, secu from a security program's perspective, it really doesn't matter what best of tools you get in place, you are still going to be exploited at some, uh, at some point. Now, obviously, those tools may aid in your detection of that breach or responding to that breach, which is also very good because, again, the goal in security is, first of all, reduce your exposure, but secondarily, being able to respond quickly. Now, while these tools may be able to aid in that, they don't necessarily reduce your exposure to that. So as far as, I mean, mitigating your exposure or mitigating the, these, these sorts of attacks, it's really around a strategy is really what I would call it. I, I tend to advise most of our clients, you don't want to think of your security, uh, you don't want to have a solution-driven security program. And solution-driven security program simply means, um, okay, this vendor knocks on your door, hey, I've got this bells and whistles, it does this, great, let's go buy it. No, that's a solution-driven security program. That's not the best way to run security. You want a risk-driven security program where you're actually looking at, okay, you're looking at your infrastructure, 
looking at uh, your assets, do you even know where all your assets are to begin with? Most companies have that problem. Again, the most big companies, the most large companies that I talk to, the one big problem they have is visibility. And coupled with the fact that most, I mean, we have a lot of uh, road warriors, remote workers, and all whatnot, it makes the problem even worse. So from a visibility perspective, do you even know where all your assets are? You got to be able to see everything before you can even protect them. So to answer, to go back to your to your original question, there are it's more of a strategy. It's not a it's not a one size fits all. There's no silver bullet. It's really just looking at your environment and bringing together those minimum uh, controls that can again re provide reasonable security. Not again, not necessarily absolute security, but reasonable security to reduce your vulnerability to these threats. I think is, is usually the way to go. Well, I'm glad you brought up the strategy thing because a lot of uh, the cybersecurity experts that I've spoken to have said essentially the same thing, that the technology isn't going to be what saves you. The strategy is, is going to be what saves you. And obviously, as yep. you mentioned, it's, it's not going to be one size fits all. But are there three or four things that you go into every client, everyone that you speak to and say, these things should be a part of your strategy? Yep. Yep. So um, there are one of the first things I, I, I tell most of my customers is you want to have some, some will go with a, either what we call a program framework or security controls framework um, for, for companies that don't have any kind of security program at all. There are some well-established uh, control frameworks that are out there. Now, even though there are control frameworks, they focus on the basic controls that you should have in place. And these controls are typically prioritized. And the reason why they're prioritized in the way they are is because from a from a security perspective, they address those foundational things that everybody should be doing. So a couple of examples. Um, when I look at a company, I first of all want to understand, okay, how, and I mentioned earlier, your, your visibility. I always want to know how are you able to track all your assets in the environment? If I were to bring a laptop or a foreign device into your environment and plug it in, are, are your systems, are your tech, detection systems, is it able to tell me, tell you right away that there's a new device on the network? If you don't have that kind of visibility around who's logging into your network, who's logging off, who's logging off your network, who's connected, what applications are out there, how outdated they are, I mean, you, you're, you're already, I mean, way behind at that point. So visibility is one thing. Most customers will typically have a decent antivirus. Most customers will have a firewall. There's some usual stuff that we have. But I tend to focus more on, I'll start with the visibility aspect, the visibility question. Do you have that? Secondarily, okay, so based on that visibility, based on that visibility question, are those controls automated? And what do I mean by that? A lot of companies, I mean, a lot of the mid-sized companies don't have huge security budgets, right? You might have one guy who's wearing both IT sysadmin at who's also expected to work as a security guy. Okay, this this guy's going to be in over his head as far as tasks are concerned. So the next question is for for these controls that you have in place, are they automated? And when I mean automate uh, automated, depending on what their capabilities are, from the time they identify a threat to remediating that threat or mitigating it or dealing with that threat in some way, shape, or form. What's the level of automation that's there? And this, this decision, this criteria should also go into the decision-making process when you are picking a security solution. That's the other thing I try, to, I try to look for. And then the third piece 
is in the area of um, so, I mean, asset management. And when I say asset management, it typically includes things around software management, patch management is a huge one. Because again, I, and I see this with company, a lot of companies, the larger the company, the, the, the more difficult issue they have, an issue they have with regards to patch management. Because they just have so many systems that are out there. And for the most part, most of the systems that they might have for a patch management solution has been a legacy system that someone's just been renewing, but then never, never, no one really paid attention to that. Is the solution adequate? Is this really addressing our patching needs? Are they even paying attention to their patching requirements? So those are the, so to the, to the core three things I would say, visibility, number one, uh, first and foremost, knowing where all your assets are. Um, especially, again, in this day and age with remote workers and all whatnot, there's, set, there's, there's all sorts of SaaS-based or cloud-based solutions that offer this, right? Um, get complete visibility across the board, whether it be agent-based or agent-less, passive detection, active uh, detection. There's all sorts of them out there. Second, secondarily, again, how do, you, how do you manage your assets direct, directly? This would include things like vulnerability management, for example. Um, again, gone are the days where you needed an, an appliance locally. You mean you still need an appliance locally on the network, but how do you deal with your your road warriors, your remote workers? This is where again you have to look to a SaaS-based solutions that have that provide you the ability to do agent-based vulnerability management, passive-based vulnerability management, as well as active-based vulnerability management. So you have all of that. That's also critical. But again, uh, going back to the Asset management, there's all sorts of things that roll into that. But then the third critical piece is, again, patch management. Because regardless of the attacks that we see, regardless of the malware, the end game is always still the same. Once the malware gets into your environment, it still has to exploit a vulnerability. And as long as, even though you might have a difficult time preventing the malware from getting into your environment, you, can't, you could still reduce the exposure of your assets in your environment by just making sure that, okay, you are on top of your patches. Now, patches aren't, patch, patching isn't the silver bullet, but it's an important bullet in the arsenal. And that's, that's what I tend to educate folks around. As long as you do these basic things, these basic hygiene things that we've all known from Security 101, as long as you keep up with those things, again, there's no such thing as absolute security, but you do reduce, you reduce your exposure to those threats, number one, and then as you start to add on those, those next gen, those threat hunting features and all whatnot, then it improves your ability to automate your response to those attacks and all whatnot. So that's, that's what I would say to that. Well, I, and I know in addition to all of that, one thing that uh, a lot of our audience members can do, and hopefully a lot of them have already done, is gone out and found a partner uh, such as uh, yep. PCM that can aid them in their cybersecurity efforts. Uh, Tunde, could you explain uh, what PCM is and what they do for their customers? Yes. So PCM is, uh, we are a national uh, bar. We are national, uh, we, we obviously we resell all sorts of products, but that's, that's just one side of the company. We also have a huge security consulting uh, aspect to the company. We do a lot of managed services, a lot of managed security services. Um, we do a lot of, a lot of compliance auditing work, um, but pretty much what everybody else does. But one of the areas that I think we kind of set ourselves apart 
from the others is in the area of remediation. Uh, because the bulk of our customers, the bulk of our customers will typically come to us, for example, with audit reports that some other uh, uh, service provider has provided them, but they have no idea where to go. Because in the area of remediation, um, you, have to, you have to look at, okay, the customer's budget, but then what are the product, what products are really out there? So because we, we started off as a product, uh, on the product sales, we know pretty much all the products that are out there. We know which ones work, which ones don't work, and we leverage that intel coupled with looking at the customer's environment, okay, based on your budget and all whatnot, okay, here is a, here is a good mix of, of controls that you can put in place that while you're not breaking the bank, you would still get yourself to that reasonable level of security. So we do a lot of that. Um, we do a lot of PCI work, for example. Uh, we're a QSA company. We do a lot of GDPR work as well. We, uh, we, we have uh, certified GDPR consultants. Like I said, we do a lot of managed security services as well. So that's, we, we typically bring that whole package to our customers, depending on what our customers' needs are. Um, we are able to, we do a lot of stack augmentation as well for, for some of our customers that have already invested in security tools but uh, are lacking in resources, we're able to provide that to them as well. As well as, again, for customers that don't even want to mess with the uh, security controls anymore, they just want to outsource all that stuff, we're happy to take all that stuff as well and manage that under our managed services uh, uh, arm of the company. So that, in a nutshell, that, that's really what PCM does. Well, I, I encourage people to check it out. Uh, Tunde, uh, how do they get in touch with you or, or uh, the website or how should they find out more about PCM? Yeah, so our, our website is, is real simple, www.pcm, that's P as in Paul, C as in Charlie, M as in Mary, uh, .com. Uh, my email address is my first name, Tunde, T-U-N-D-E dot, my last name, O-D-E-L-E-Y-E -E -E, at pcm.com. Um, but yeah, there are links on the website that uh, uh, make, make, make it easy for us, for you, for anyone to, re uh, to reach out to me um, if they need to, so. All right. Well, I encourage everyone to do uh, that. And, and especially, you know, it's a proactive thing, cybersecurity. You want to get this handled before and not after the fact. Yep. So, absolutely. Absolutely. so check it out. Uh, Tunde, thank you so much for uh, joining us today and giving us so much great information. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, John. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to My Tech Decisions podcast. Here at Tech Decisions, it's our mission to help you do your job better. If you'd like to learn more, head over to www.mytechdecisions.com or follow us on Twitter at MyTechDecisions. I'm your host, Jonathan Blackwood, Managing Editor of Tech Decisions, and you can find me at Blackwood Tweets. Thank you again for listening, and good luck with all of your installations and implementations. <laughs>